Hey, this is Desmond Say, also known as the Siding Guy from Edmonton, Alberta. You are listening to the Contracting Handbook podcast with Mike Canoti. 10 was my most cruise I had. Builder across the street saw me working solo and getting houses done faster than their five-man crew. Some people with their mindset are built to be employees and do well for themselves. My personal philosophy on retirement, we should always be busy all the time. We're here to be a contributing member of society and playing golf all day and lying on a beach all day doesn't do it for me. I don't know if I had a secret sauce. It was tougher training crews with quote unquote experience. It can boil down to a single favorite hack, just shaving seconds here and there. The root of it is because I'm ultimately lazy. It was a job, even though it was a business, but I never knew it would become a career. I uh, I try to stay out yeah. of social media. <laughs> Ironic, right? Oh, that's too funny. As you were saying all those words, that's the only word that came to my mind was freedom. Facilitating construction startups elevating the building community, and helping to usher in the next generation of builders, the Contracting Handbook podcast connects builders globally through conversation. With the man who's seen it all, your host, Mike Kinoki, General Contractor at Large in Fairbanks, Alaska. My next guest is another self-made man. He's an astute observer of what works and what does not. He loves problem solving and sharing his tips and hacks with anyone willing to learn. He's always had a plan, or so it seems from where I'm, from where I'm sitting. It's that business planning and execution while mastering his craft that makes him a role model for anyone evolving from tradey to tradey with a business problem. But I assure you, he seeks no glory. It's Desmond Say. Welcome to the Contracting Handbook Podcast, Desmond. Thanks for having me. That's... Uh quite the introduction <laughs> so which came first for you wanting to start a business or learning a trade in order to start a business neither actually okay. i uh actually didn't even own a hammer until after i got married my wife had a hammer before i did mm-hmm. so getting into the trades was just a way to pay the mortgage mm-hmm. and it was pretty accidental it was um how long were you wh- wh- what was your first job in the trades then my first job in the trades was actually helping a friend reno a bathroom at his sister's rental house we were both out of work and he said hey my sister said she'll pay us 10 bucks an hour each yeah, we'll do this bathroom. <laughs> 10 bucks and an so hour. I had no idea anything about construction. Uh, I I was married a couple of years already. So what I knew about construction, my father-in-law taught me. Like he taught me how to change a light bulb or change a light fixture. And then uh, and then this friend said, yeah, I know how to do it. Just help me along. And, and we we did that bathroom at her rental house. And your friend was pretty experienced. Uh, it's more of a DIYer that uh, a little bit older than I. So 
so he knew knew his way around the tools yeah but not like you know milwaukee kind of tools more like the home depot brand tool so yeah i'd say he was more a diyer yeah you know i feel like all the home depot tools have been dumbed down no matter what brand it is i feel like they're not the same Mm -hmm. as they used to be but that's just me so how did you uh pick up your siding skills then how did what How'd you transition? When did that happen? Well, after that rental or bathroom reno, his sister really liked how it turned out and said, Hey, do you want to spruce up the front of the rental and put some siding in front of the house? And, and I think she paid us the same rate, 10 bucks an hour. Uh huh. So then, uh, we went to home Depot, picked up some siding, picked up a pamphlet and figured out how to do it. That From the was our, Yep, from the Home Depot pamphlet. That was our our very first siding gig. How, what year was that around? That would have been 2003. Okay. Yeah, around around June, summer of 2003. Time flies. Okay, now um, everybody out there, most of you know, Des as a one-man band, sublimely siding structures on IG. But recently, you took me back to a snapshot of your business 10, 15 years ago, uh, I think it was. And you were not alone. You were not working alone back then. No. So after that one job, we saw an ad in the paper while having lunch. And we looked at the, the ad and it said, $65 a square for vinyl siding installation. And I thought, man, that's easy. I had no idea what a square was. We both thought it was $65 for a 12 inch by 12 inch piece. We thought it was a square foot. Mm. And so that's how dumb we were in construction. And so we were like, hey, should we call this uh, ad? And and he said, sure. So we, we called in and they're like, oh, come in for an interview. And the night before the interview, I was trying to learn the term. So he was pointing at these drawings on the on the internet and saying, that's fascia. And then two minutes later, he would say, no, that's a gable. And I'm super confused. I'm like, you just said that was fascia. Now you're telling me that's a gable. I was not getting it. And so he just said, Des, shut up. During the interview tomorrow, I'll do the talking. And so uh, we went into this siding company and we came in as subcontractors already because they weren't looking for hourly guys. They were just looking for a crew that could get the job done. And and so then he said, go take a look at the project. And if you think you can get it done, then then you have the job. And so that was was my first gig. And so we did that. And to this day, it was one of the hardest projects I've done to date. Fourplexes, tearing off old cedar, redoing the capping all around the windows, 12-12 pitch. And all we had was a 20-foot ladder. But mm. we got it done. We were the only crew on that project to make the time bonus. And then we ended up getting $80 a square as opposed to 65 and uh were you bummed and, when you found out it was was 100 square feet and not oh one square foot? oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> you were like we're gonna be rich off one job yeah. 
No. Yeah, but then but then we realized that later, saying, okay, it's a 10 by 10 area yeah. is a square. And after that project, it was August, and temperature was cooling down a bit. So my friend just said, I, Des, I can't do this. I can't stand the heights. It, it freaks me out. And uh, so he's like, I can't do this anymore. And for me, I had a mortgage to pay. So I asked that company, do you have any other work for me? you know, if I'm able to do it. And, and they said, yeah. So then they paired me up with another beginning guy who had no equipment at all. And so we struggled through a, a few houses with just ladders and ladder jacks and homemade two by four planks. And then after a while, I thought, if you work hard, you can make good money, you know, because it's piecework. Because we, mm-hmm. we, I was neverly hour, never hourly except for that rental house gig. Uh-huh. The rest was piecework. And so that sort of, I guess, sparked the craving toward, hey, I can not work hourly, but I can, if I'm efficient, I can make way more money than the guy who's not efficient. And so meanwhile, me and this other guy, my partner, um, I was saving up for equipment every single job. So every job I put a hundred dollars aside and and buy a ladder or buy buy uh you know an air hose so I could run a compressor because I didn't even have a compressor when I, I started. And you'll you'll laugh. My very first tool that I couldn't afford was a hammer tacker. So I went to the pawn shop and bought this antique hammer tacker because it was I don't know, $30 cheaper than the $40 one in the store. And so, you know, so I, I bought used. And how many, how often, how often did that thing put, actually put a staple out? Like every fifth? It was actually, it already had, it it already had black death all over it. It was retired. It, 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 (laughs) like that old stuff, old tools, they seem to last. It was, the whole thing was steel. The whole thing, there's not painted. It was steel. It was probably an old boss ditch or something that looked like, the new carbon fiber DeWalt big headed one, but uh, I but hate those big headed ones. I hate those. Me too. The old, Me I too. think it was Bostitch. Those old ones, they were simple, they were slender, and they, you could get them in a tight corners. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, and so then, meanwhile, I'm thinking I'm doing seventy percent of the work, but only getting paid fifty percent because my partner and I were splitting everything 50-50 down oh, yeah. the middle. And I was the only one bringing in equipment, you know, and so three quarters of the equipment was mine now, yet we're still going 50-50. So all this time while moving pump jack poles, we we would do it with two guys. And I thought, I'm going to figure out how to work alone. So during the jobs with him, instead of asking him for help to move a plank or anything, I would try all sorts of things by myself. And once I was confident I could do it solo, I... I just basically said, Hey, um, I think I want to go out on my own without a partner. And, uh, if you need me to do another house with you after this one, I won't leave you high and dry. And he, he understood he was, uh, quite a bit older than me. And I think he did realize he wasn't, you know, contributing to the 50%. Yeah. So I'm sure he's okay. So then I'm sure the writing was on the wall. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, I'm rambling here but you want, want to wonder how I got to running crew. So then I, I ran solo for a bit and then actually 
a builder across the street saw me working solo and getting houses done faster than their five-man crew. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the the owner of the building company came over and said, why are you one guy and your house is going up faster and your quality is better than my five-man crew here? And I just said, uh, maybe they're just learning. You know, maybe they're all getting trained. I'm not sure. And then he said, uh, I want you to do work for, for me. So then I started, I picked up my own contract there instead of being subbed out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I picked up other, you know, another builder. And then I started training friends of friends. And before you know it, I, I trained most of my crews. I was up to 10 crews at, at one point, just teaching them that there's potential to make a lot of money here if you work hard. And, uh, and I said, you need to, you know, put in the work and, and I'll train you if you come to me having your own truck already or trailer, you know, that's when I'll pour time into you to train you. And so I was training people early on without even having that much experience myself, but the builders were really good. Cause they would tell me, okay, this is code. This is how you do it. You know, yep. they understood that, that I hadn't been doing that it that long. And then you, you turned into a big company. Well, I wouldn't call it big because there's companies out there with 20 crews, right? Right. But uh, I, I did start getting noticed in my, in Edmonton, other, other siding companies would call me and be ticked off because they get a whole bunch of chargebacks because I offered really quick service work. So builders weren't getting their deficiencies fixed, they'd call me and then, and I had a full-time service guy oh. that would go out, go out and fix stuff within like two business days. So then nice. these builders would, would wait three weeks to get some deficiency fixed. The siding company they hired wouldn't go fix it. So then they would hire me and then charge back the original <laughs> siding company. And then how many, what, when you were at your peak, how many crews? 10 was my most crews I had. And that went on for probably close to two years. Uh huh. So you did 10 crews for two years. So like 20, 30 guys. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, most of them were two man crews. So I would train one guy, teach them how to, uh, start their own business so that they could subcontract through me. And then they would often hire a helper or two to help them and then pay, pay their helpers or pay their labor, whatever they deemed fit. So you're, you're making bank for two years. Uh, but one thing you told me about running all the crews is that some crews would crush it because you were paying them piecemeal or just by the job, right? Not even piecemeal. Yeah. I was paying them piecework by the square foot. um, Uh And I would, I would pay them market rate plus bonuses. So there were different bonuses like, uh, if you used less material, I give you, you know, $200 bonus than, than the other crew. Cause that saves me money. Cause I, I'd often tell the crew saying, if you use one extra piece of siding per job extra, that's going to cost me four grand over the year. So if you save two extra pieces, I'd rather give that money to you. So yeah. then I had a, a, a good bonus structure and, and then a lot of, 
companies weren't paying for complicated houses like bump outs on the houses or Dutch gables. So then I would offer bonuses for that. And, uh, and then I would offer bonuses. I'd pay them to pick up the materials so that it was all, all secure. So with all the bonuses, I ended up being able to pay them above market rate. And then, okay, t- two, two years, two, 10 crews. How did you manage quality control? That's so, so my much, deal with so many job sites, so many driveways. So my deal with all the crews is uh, I would not pay them until after I personally inspected it. Uh-huh. And, uh, but I always told them the most important thing is what I can't see. So sometimes I would, I said, I'll spot check, I'll put a ladder up and peel a piece of siding back just to check once underneath. So they always knew that was a possibility. And I actually did catch one crew who was shortcutting. Mm-hmm. and made him go back and take siding apart mm-hmm. around every single window because he did, would only paper up to what he could reach instead of going up to where he could reach. And and mm-hmm. so he had to go fix that. And he actually quit shortly after just saying, Des, uh, you're you're too perfect. I can't leave, live up to your standards. And, uh, but so, so, so that, that was one way of quality control and any, chargebacks or any deficiencies they would have three business days to fix or i would charge them and do it myself or send my service guy to fix it and oftentimes they would actually one crew preferred the chargebacks just saying you you fix it and bill me because they they realized that they were making more money on the next full job as opposed to wasting half a day fixing you know, they're yeah, do it so right that, the first time. Were they were they getting better? Those guys who are who are oh, of like, course. Because if if yeah, yeah, if you're paying out of pocket for deficiencies or having to drop what you're doing within two to three business days, leaving a paying job to go to a job where it's unpaid, then then they would realize that. Yeah, going back is brutal. You know, I don't I don't mind the occasional callback on little things. It's they're actually good in a way, because people, when you get it right back on, when you get on a callback, that client, you own that client for life. They think you're the yeah. best. Yeah. So they're almost, and, almost good, but go ahead. And you take those callbacks to learn. I learned a lot from all of my guys' callbacks. Mm. Oh to yeah. avoid callbacks for myself saying, okay, they did that there and this is what happened or, you know, and then you just begin to, to learn and then, learning off other people's mistakes as opposed to your own. And, and, um, what was your like secret sauce in training these crews? What was, what was your, I don't know if I had a, I don't know if I had a secret sauce. Uh, it was tougher training crews with quote unquote experience because they would have to get rid of their old ways. Cause, cause I would say, okay, this is my job. I want, it done like this for consistency. So all the jobs with my company name on it looks the same and not done in your style. So even something like J channel, you know, everyone can do miters different. It's, it's a stylistic thing, right? Not necessarily, you know, that's right or wrong. Right. It's uh, you know, the, the client wants consistency. If their show home is done a certain way, the least amount of flack they're going to get from the homeowner is 
if everything looks like the show home, mm-hmm. right? If the homeowner yeah, yeah. looks up, looks at the show home and says, why is your show home done like this? And my house is done like this. Mm. But if it's done the same, there's no questions ever asked. Yeah. And so I, a secret sauce, that's a tough one. I basically dangled a carrot in front of them is uh, with my history of working solo saying, this is what I made working for X company, getting paid less than you are. So you have the potential to make this much. And, and then they'd be like, their eyes would light up saying, oh my, that is crazy for not having an education that I can make that much Mm -hmm. money working for someone else, not even doing your own gig, like just subcontracting off, off of me. You strike me as a patient man as well. Uh, not necessarily. Okay. I can be hard when I need to be hard. Yeah. And, uh, and, and patience is a definitely a learned trait, but mm-hmm. not natural to me. Yeah, you got. Yeah, I think we all have to learn patience. It's a it's a tough one, and you got to be hard. Like ask, yeah, ask my kids, and they might tell you a different story, right? Because you know we've all, you know, I'm I'm not a perfect parent. You know, I've blown up at them before. You know, you know, and it's it's often you you treat those you love worse than like I I've never blown up at a client, right? But but yet yet I'll blow up to my loved ones, right? Yeah. Well. That's always been something that's bothered me about this career, you know, because the things I've wanted to say to clients or the amount of brown nosing I've done come home at the end of the day. And it's gross. The things, yeah, the things that I've subjugated myself to with clients and, but yeah, it's an interesting thing you brought up there. How did you deal with clients that were, that were dealing with your subcontractors that weren't doing what they that they wanted, and you know it's your company name and your clients, but it's other people doing the work. This is something I deal with as a general for sure. No. So, I had a promise to all my subcontractors, saying I will never ever let you sit. If there's ever a day I can't give you work, I will pay you a hundred dollars a day to sit so that you can stay quote unquote loyal to me and not look for work Mm. elsewhere. So it was sort of a give and take. And, and I also said, I will never ever hassle you on a deadline unless the builder is hassling me. So I don't care if you take a month to do this house. If the builder doesn't give me hassle, you know, and, and my, my builders all knew that they said, you know, like, I tell them if you if you need the project sped up, let me know. Um, I can I can give my crew a bit of pressure, so I never dictated when they had to show up when they didn't, because they were they're basically their own boss, right? And and try to give them as much freedom. But those that were hungry and thirsty would crush it. Like like I was telling you the other day, I had one one guy that was on average making ten twelve ten to twelve grand a month consistently yeah just learning the trade you know a year ago right and you know i had other guys making four grand a month 
and they were they were content. So, you know, I, I tried to keep them happy because if you're not happy, you're not going to put out good work, right? If you're constantly getting heck from me, yeah. then then it's it's a negative environment. Yeah, if you're happy, the money follows. Um, but what about so the clients? So you were always you were always subbing through a general. Uh, I, I would get work directly from the builder. Yeah. So, so if the client was unhappy with someone working on the house, they would complain to the general. Basically, like yeah, if, like the, the like if you have siders that are untidy, you know, I I like I had a roofer that one time that you know they just left a mess, and I went over and cleaned it because the client was flipping out, and I was like, I am on my way. This will be done. Um, but. You know those sort of things. Um, I always had a that was a big rule of mine was cleanliness. Uh-huh. So the site was never ever left dirty because one of my builders said you could be the one of the worst siders in Edmonton, but if your job site is always clean, the homeowner or client's going to walk in and say, "Oh, this looks great." Yeah, you know. But if you're the most perfectionist cider in edmonton and every single thing's done like finished carpentry but your job site's a mess then the homeowner's gonna say what's wrong with this crew i want another one yeah and absolutely. so so the 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 contractor was quite clear and, and homeowners aren't really allowed to go to their site here they have to they have like two or three site visits while their house is being built scheduled with this the site supervisor but of course every homeowner would sneak in you know or drive by every couple of days and you know but they're technically not a, not allowed to go in and it's it's typically locked that's amazing i there are no there is nothing like that where i live they show up whenever they want yeah which is a little nerve-wracking sometimes um so why did you stop running the cruise well, basically, I started a family while in my first, second, second year of siding. Um, and during the years where they were not in school yet, my, my wife has always been the one to be at home with the children. We did not want daycare for our children. And my wife actually encouraged me to work hard while there was a ton of work and and encouraged me to you know she didn't mind working long hours but i was always home for for dinner but then as my kids started getting older in elementary school i was that dad that showed up to every single volunteer parent thing i would you know go to the kindergarten school while they had a school field trip and be a chaperone and i actually lost a kid at the zoo (laughs) <laughs> once but founder bad and, chaperone and then, you know yeah be it be the dad that was the you know one of the volunteers for when the kids learned skating outside or whatever field trip so then i wanted more flexibility because running 10 crews you can imagine that i wasn't putting on siding myself I, uh, yeah I, was, I would imagine at some point you're just the boss you're just the yeah, business yeah. your business and, manager and then uh that was another thing was i really missed being on the tools Mm. So as crews went on to 
do other things in life because a lot of the guys I hired were young guys, you know, early 20s, didn't really know what they wanted to do with life yet. And so I said, stick with me for at least a year and you'll make a good living, you know, until you figure out what you want to do. So I, I never quashed any of their dreams of doing other things because construction isn't for everyone. And so a crew might 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 have gone to decide to go back to school or another crew might have uh, just go on to do other things in life. And I just never retrained or replaced it. I just, you know, jigged the schedule a bit to say, hey, I'm not going to be taking on as many houses. So this is my uh, my amount of houses I can take for this year. And so builders would adjust to to uh, to the number of crews I had. What about getting paid? Uh, you know, as a, as a general, I pay my subs pretty much the minute they're done. I do an inspection, but I want them to have the money. I don't keep them waiting. It's a loyalty. Th- it, it helps with loyalty a bit, but it's also it's just a respect thing. Um, but recently I was talking to a couple of my subs and they were talking about cash flow issues and people not paying them quickly enough. Well, uh, I think I'm pretty fortunate because um, I grew up with my parents losing everything in that recession in early 80s. They basically mm. gave their keys back to the bank on both their rental house and own house and wow. left Canada because there was no work. And so I actually lived in Southeast Asia for for five years while my my parents sort of regrouped life and so learning from my parents they were always saying don't spend what you don't have so i started the company without borrowing anything um like i said i got equipment as i needed i don't spend a lot and so the my company started accruing a float we'll say and then with that float i was able to buy materials and and then as you gain more crews sometimes builders didn't pay for 45 days you know, when I right, that's what material. I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That kind of stuff. You never had yeah. anybody stiff you. Uh, I've I've had people stiff me, but I was able to run my finances in the company so that I could. I I always had a float. So I I did tell you one one builder went under on me. He he was actually a very good client for four years. Was never late on a payment on any invoices, and then all of a sudden one day went under and uh, I had six crews on that builder and they owed me over a hundred thousand dollars and I still had enough funds to pay out all my materials, pay out all my guys for their labor on those houses and never saw a cent of payment back toward me. So, so those are, yeah. So that's, that's one of the reasons I downsized as well was, there's less risk. If it's just me working solo, then all I'm ever out is one material package and one labor, right? Yeah. One unit of labor. Yeah. Uh, As much as I miss crazy productivity with the crew and, and seeing neat stuff get built really fast. um, it, It definitely makes life less complicated. So, yeah. So one last thing about going solo. I mean, 
you were solo and then you had a crew. But there's that feeling when you go solo again. I mean, you learn so much with the crew and and you learn how to really attack big jobs and get stuff done with what with phone calls and, and just coordination and Yeah. But you're con- like for me, like the concept of time changed all of a sudden. Like I my schedule my schedule was so open. I wasn't calling my foreman and texting him hours a day. I wasn't, yeah. you know, I wasn't so how what do you remember that feeling like the freedom that kind of came with it that as as you were saying all those words that's the only word that came to my mind was freedom was it's it's freeing i you're on your own schedule there were i remember one subdivision i worked in we had the very first house there's there was not a house or foundation for miles and I would show up to work at two in the morning because I didn't have to follow any noise bylaws Mm. and then I'd be done work at 10 in the morning and spend the rest of the day you know with my family nice you know because I had that you know there's no way I could convince workers to go out and show up at that time right just so I can have the afternoon off and it, it was actually funny and as that subdivision got built uh there were times where I would be leaving at like 10 or 11 in the morning and a whole entire wall was done while other crews were just coming in to start work. Uh-huh. And they knew what I had done the day before. And they're like, we're just showing up to work and you have a complete wall done. Yep. The master. That's awesome. You know what? My, um, one of my favorite memories after I kind of let the crew go, cause it definitely took some adjusting. Um, I remember I was wrapping up on a job doing some trim and it was like, you know, it's one of those things where like, you're, 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 you're about to check this box for this part of the project and you can start setting up, you can start into the next thing or, you you know, it's four o'clock. You can just sweep up, organize and go home. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to call it quits. And normally when I, if I'm, if I'm done with something at four, I've got, five more hours of work to do at home. But I, I started driving home and I was like, I don't really have to do anything. <laughs> and it was yep. amazing. I didn't, I didn't even know what to do. So I called a friend and was like, let's go float. And we did. It was amazing. Yeah, man. It was really neat. Um, oh yeah. You're a, it, you flo- you're a float. You're a, you're a river guy. Yeah. You're, like yeah. Uh, that was one tradition we had when my kids were younger was uh, there was a hot day and uh no wind i would just call call home and say pack a picnic lunch we're gonna go float float the river today i'm i'm packing up work nice and so that that and and even this past year that freedom has has been so much uh how do you say so much more beneficial to me i this whole last year of 2022 and part of 2021, I actually only worked half days and I only worked till lunchtime every day and still did full houses. And I would still do them uh, sometimes faster than the crews around me who were working full time. Amazing. You know, um, I think the week before this comes on, the period craftsman is going to be on. I don't know if you know who he is, Freddie Roman. And uh, he talks about working half days, but it's 12 hour days because. 
Because when he ran his business, he's like, I work 12 hours every day, half days, six days a week. <laughs> uh, too funny. Um, so why do you like sharing your technique so much? Um, so now it's sort of more a creative outlet. When it first started, I would just be helping someone and be like, Hey, why don't you do it this way? Or someone would be at my site, uh, I don't know, just chatting and they'd be like, Whoa, why'd you do that? That's so cool. And then someone years ago was like, Des, you should really write all these things down in one spot or, or start a YouTube channel to show these things. Cause, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys that work alone. Um, but one thing, that people do notice is I'm fairly quick without sacrificing on the quality. And so I'm like, oh, I don't have time for YouTube. And, uh, and then one friend just over three years ago, he's like, you really should start posting video. So then I posted one and, and then that's kind of how I started sharing things officially mm -hmm. to the public is is that uh is the siding guy good for sublime siding or is it more of just a fun hobby um it's actually kind of a pain for my company because mm. i i didn't go on there to find work and yet i get requests all the time saying can you do my house and i'm like no 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 yeah. and uh, i just tell them i said this is my personal page i'm not trying to find work and so yeah. it's it's more fending off the requests of me wanting work because i didn't didn't sign or the siding guy was not to to look for more work right um yeah that's a good problem to have but okay so how do you do you return all the phone calls or do you just you have to let them go at this point you can't in terms of phone calls i don't get any ah. uh because 10 years ago, I threw out all my business cards. I took all the signage off any company vehicle I had because I realized that phone calls were a waste of time because mm. I would basically be saying no to all of them saying, sorry, I can't do your work or my inside voice saying, no, I don't want to waste time quoting on something I can't do, but I always be professional to the customer saying, I'm sorry, I won't be able to fit this in. Uh, and so I just realized phone calls were a waste of time. So I got rid of all means of people being able to contact me. And I tell all my friends, please do not give out my number just because, you know, I do siding. Um, always ask me first. Yeah. Yep. My subs are like, do not give out my number anymore. It's, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. too much. Interesting. Yeah. I like having an incognito vehicle too. One that doesn't have any signage on it. I got past the point of needing signage too. So what, uh, what, where are your requests coming from? How are you finding jobs then? Well, just, at, um, like I've got such good relationship with the builders. That's just one after another. I can kind of like whenever I like, so when I went down to solo, um, I basically said, Hey, let me pick and choose the houses I want. Cause I'm your longest siding guy and they'll use other siding companies as well, but they would rather, use me first in their list of siding companies. Yeah. Well, yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of nice. So they know 
for, you know, one, one builder I've had for 17 years. That's awesome. The same builder. And, uh, I, you know, they, they watch me grow and they watch me shrink and then they still use me as a solo. And then, uh, when, cause I had three crews for probably the last five years before I went solo, uh-huh. you know, three consistent crews. And then, uh, as they went on, I just told, or actually I let the last one go. I just told the builder, I'm like, I really am not too happy with that crew because the callbacks are more than I'd like. Yeah. And so I told the builder, I said, I think I'm going to can that crew and and then just do it myself so I know everything that goes on the house. And uh, and then they were okay with that. And I was able, to, I was fast enough to be able to keep up with pretty much all their homes. Amazing. How old were you when you went solo again my guess would be early 30s it's it's been 10 or 12 years i've been okay okay yeah Yeah. um and and if i'm in a pinch i can still sub out i got a couple of companies i want just saying hey i quoted this job that's really good and then offer you know my buddy say, Hey, this is way above market rate. Why don't you take it and just give me like a 5% cut? Are they, uh, are these, um, people you trained? No, I've actually met some good guys also as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. That cool. the good ones that I've trained have all gone on to, to start their own companies. I like it. That's cool. Yeah. I have so, you know, yeah, I have so much respect for how you operate and I, I was immediately struck when I saw it, when I, however, I came across you on Instagram, um, with your, your constant need to increase efficiency in the field. Um, because I, I worked alone for so long and doing everything on a house, building houses by myself and I loved it, but it was always that constant problem solving. What's the, what's the, your favorite working alone hack you've contrived? Huh? I don't know if there's a single hack because sometimes I'll figure something else, but it may have been done 20 years ago. And, but since I work alone, I'm figuring it out on my own. Right. Yeah. So I didn't have the, the luxury of learning off a mentor. So if I started 20 years ago with a mentor, then I might've known a lot of the tricks. So a lot of them are just like, Hey, why don't I do it this way? And so I, I don't think it can boil down to a single favorite hack, but more just shaving seconds here and there. And, uh, and, and the root of it is cause I'm ultimately lazy. I want to do the least amount of work to get the same end result. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the root of it is, is my laziness. <laughs> Uh, is it lazy or is it just wanting to be, is it like focus on attention or focus on efficiency? No, I, I just want to do the least <laughs> amount possible to make the most amount of money. Right. Yeah. Like it's like figuring out the get rich quick scheme of siding. It's true. And you got to charge, you got to pay, you got to charge the same amount. If it took you three weeks, 10 years ago, and it takes you three days now, it should be the same amount. 
yeah. that you make. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's or what more. I love about piecework. Yeah. Well, I don't mind paying my piecework subcontractors. Yeah. But but the sad thing is with piecework, you get the opposite clients too that think you make too much money. Yep. They can go find like, someone else. Uh, yeah, like uh, I've had builders come to me almost refusing to pay because they saw how quickly I did it. Like they were envisioning it being a three-month job and I get it done in 10 days and they're ticked. Like these are, all, all these are new clients, right? The private yeah. clients, not my regular clients. Oh my God. You know, if I agree on a price and someone gets it done 90 times faster than I thought, I'm going with that person forever and I'm very happy. Having a box checked on a house is the, you can't, it doesn't get any better when stuff's getting done. Yeah. I, I had one I project could... where, um, you know, it, it was a market rate quote. It was, it was a fair quote based on market rate. You know, I'm, I'm on the high end of market rate or just higher. And I knew I could get it done really quickly, but I purposely slow played it. I only worked three hours a day and every day the homeowner came home and was just so happy. They're just saying, you got so much done. It looks so good. And, and I knew they were at work all day, but I, I, I didn't tell them I was only there for, mm -hmm. you know, three hours a day, but uh, I did that more for the customer satisfaction as well. Cause that yeah. was uh, one project over Christmas time where I just fit in. I wasn't, I wasn't going to work between Christmas and new year. And, and they begged me, they begged me. And, and so I even slowed, you know, so I, yeah. End of the day, both parties were happy. Yeah. That's what, that's what we want. That's what we want. Um, what's the best mistake you've made? Um, I'll put the mistake on my company and not me personally is I don't even know. It, it wasn't even our fault, but it's a good story. We had a house go up. It was two-story house, show home, half completed. And I get a call from the builder saying, you put the wrong siding on the house. It's the right color, but the wrong profile. Uh, we had Dutch lap go on and they requested the, the bevel or traditional profile. And of course I'm panicked because that's a lot of money in materials. Yeah. And uh, this is one really, really good thing to say about paperwork. I dug through my emails, my order was correct. So it was a supplier's fault. They delivered the wrong product. Oh. And, uh, and so the suppliers took the bill. They paid us to uninstall it. They delivered new material. They took back the old material, got rid of all the old material and paid for both the labor for it to be ripped off and put back on. And so from that day on, I've always checked paperwork, you know, because my installers don't know what's going on. You know, they, they put on what I send them, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's like double check the paperwork, make sure you read the label on the box, make sure when you open the box, it is what the label says it it is inside because that could have been 
disaster. Super costly. Disaster. Yeah. yeah. I have a <laughs> a tile guy that um, he was doing tile. He was doing bat or uh, sorry, swimming pools in L.A. And his crew showed up, or he went to check on his crew, one of his crews. And he pulled up to the driveway that of where they're supposed to be, and he sees their truck. He sees their trucks at the next house, and he goes to the next house, and he's like, "What are you guys doing?" And they're like. We're, we're wrapping up and he's like wrong house. So they tile the wrong pool. This reminds me of another story that was actually my mistake. So I'm not a real techie person. And so we had a computer that I don't know, it had a virus or something. And, and so we called our only, Buddy we knew that was techie saying hey can you fix our computer and he's he's like yeah he's like tell you what i'll fix your computer you cap my garage door you know go measure it up do it get it done because i need it done and i'm like deal and so i get it done like within a couple of days six months later my wife gets a phone call from his wife just saying, hey, I don't really mean to bug you guys, but when's Des going to come cap our garage door? And then I said, I did it like six months ago. And then I I drove back there. I had done the wrong house because it was a new area where all oh. garages were getting done. So someone got a brand new garage door cause, and they all look the same. Oh, that's hilarious. And they're all back alley, so you don't see the front of the house. You just pull up to the back, and and uh, so we all like so. Good thing they were friends, so we all had a really good laugh about that one. That is hilarious. I love it. And nothing. And someone was showed up one day and was like mysteriously capped. That's got that. They've got their own great story. They're like, yeah, and they still don't know who it is. Yeah, who did it? That's that's awesome. Um. One thing you said that really resonated with me last time we spoke was, and this definitely comes from a place of experience, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase. Um, and it reminds me of a, a book I read a, a, you know, a long time ago, but you said a lot of people go into business for themselves just to create a job for themselves. Why? Yep. Um, like I was telling you, some people aren't, built to start a business some people with their mindset are built to be employees and and do well for themselves and get a pension or to do well for themselves and carry on in that manner um and that phrase that uh if you start a business just to create a job for yourself like you said just an example of 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 what you said is uh, when you get home, you're expecting four other four more hours of work. You know, so you basically you start a business and you work your eight hours at the job site. Let's say and you come home and you're floundering in paperwork. And so, yes, you may be making more you think per hour instead of making thirty an hour. Oh. In these eight hours, I made 40, but you're not accounting for the four extra hours 
mm-hmm. you are doing paperwork or your expenses. And so um, I don't even know why when we were talking that topic came up, but uh, but that's something for everyone to think about if they, you know, like, because the, the dream for everyone is to try to go go into business for themselves. But it's it's also good advice to to maybe go take a personality test to see where your strengths and weaknesses are and take inventory of, of knowing yourself. Yeah. Um, um, it, it, it harkens to the, I don't know if you, you ever read the E-Myth. Uh, yes. The, yeah. I think I read the E-Myth revisited. So okay. that might've been the, the updated one. Yeah. You know, and that's the whole idea is that we're, at least for tradespeople, you know, we're good at our craft, but we have no clue about business when we start it. And I would say when I heard you say that, it resonated with me because that's exactly what I did. I started a business to make a job for myself. I didn't really start a business. It became one. Yeah. It, it just, it really, it, it was slow. It took, it took a while for it to really be and, a thing. But And it depends how you adapt, right? Right. I never intended to start a business ever in my life. You know, I, that was not the plan, but it just sort of worked out that way that I was thrown into it. Me either. I was always ill-suited to work for other people, but I never thought I'd work for myself, but I would never take that back. But Um, um, having a conversation with my wife, uh, she's like, Des, you've always been a hustler. Like, cause we're, we're talking to our son. He's, he's graduating on uh, what he wants to do with this life. And I'm like, you know, you don't necessarily have to go to school right away, explore your options. I took a gap year and, and I just told him, I said, whatever you do, make sure you're not at your job thinking about when is this day going to end every day? Cause that's, that's not happiness. And, and then my wife's like, every job's like that. And I'm like, no, it isn't. You can make it what it is. And, and then she's like, well, Des, you've always been a hustler. Like my very first job was working at a gas station for $4 and 50 cents an hour. And I researched Petro Canada that that's the gas station I worked at. And I found out where their highest profit margin was, was on this one particular car wash. They were charging $7 for this wash, but it only cost them 21 cents or something like that. Mm. And so I went to the boss and I said, drop my wage, drop it down to like $4 an hour. But every one of these car washes I sell on my shift, pay me 25 cents. So I immediately increased my wage and I averaged 10 to $15 an hour from 450 just by telling the boss, you know, and I, I sold it to him. I just said, this is where your company makes money. So share the profits with me and I'll, I'll work my hardest to, to sell this one wash on my shift. Yeah. You are, so. you always were a hustler, Des. Your wife's right. <laughs> and she's like, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm like, hustle sounds so bad. Like, nah. you know, I'm, I'm trying to rip someone off or something. I'm like, no, I'm just trying to make work exciting and, and see what possibilities I have for myself. Right. People who work for other people think that hustling is a bad word, but we are hustling. We got to hustle to make a living. We got to, 
we're yeah. taking care of ourselves. We're on our own. Yeah. We got to hustle. Yeah. Even something like quoting, it's all a game. Right? Yeah. Yep. What the market will bear. Um, I think the reason why this came up, because we were talking about is being in the trades financially viable. And, you know, like you've always had a plan. And that's something I hit on in the intro. You know, you didn't, you didn't go into it. You created a job, you created a business, but you and your wife were like, let's plan this out. Like, tell us about that. Well, like I said, um, it was a job, even though it was a business, but I never knew it would become a career. Mm -hmm. So once I realized it was a career saying, okay, there's uh, good margins to be made here, then of course we talk to our accountants and figure out what the best tax structure is and and here in Canada, you know, you you have a corporation and you can pay yourself out of that corporation. So we chose early on to to maximize all the tax benefits or as a hustler would say tax loopholes. Yeah. Um, but but tax benefits basically. So we purposely chose to keep ourselves in the lowest personal tax bracket all the time. Maximize things like education fund for our kids. So we maxed out our what we can put in because the government automatically gives you 20% on top of what you put away for your kids for education. And so that's free 20% that's, investment. That's sick. And you can't even do stocks and guarantee that, right? Like people no. are happy with seven, seven, eight percent. But so then being in the lowest tax bracket, the government gives you money to raise your kids too, tax free. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's thousands a year. So then we, we, even though let's say the corporation is doing well financially, we chose to live like peasants. Like we, like, um, and that's one thing I told you, I, I, I sort of wanted to get into the financial bits of things as I'm sharing on Instagram, because a lot of young people are wondering, like, they want the brand new F-150 or brand new truck, whereas my work vehicle now, it paid for itself within, within the first two days of the, the first job I used it on, paid for 100%, whereas a lot of people are making payments for five years yeah on a on, on a truck yeah, but yeah. and my, it's a lot of money my, six or seven hundred yeah, bucks my a vehicle fifteen hundred bucks yeah. a month rent my vehicle might not look as pretty but it gets me the jobs and it's reliable and so so we we chose to live on like our, our family budget has been around three thousand dollars a month for the last 15 20 years even even now and with your poor children. Being in, yeah, being with the in the the trades without any get rich quick scheme, we're still we're still able to do really well for ourselves, right? Like we we took advantage of the market, we got a rental house, we got a warehouse, we rent those out, so that's passive income you know, one of them's in the corporation. So then it's not reflecting on, on a higher personal tax rate. And then once the kids turn 18, we can begin re-evaluating re things, right? On a financial front, but it's, 
not difficult to budget well. It's it's really simple math. I think it's all a, a mental thing, you know, and, and, and discipline and self-control in your spending. I think those are the keys right there is discipline and self-control. It's easy to spend money. I've always been, I don't know, maybe it's survival mechanism yeah. since I was a kid. I didn't come from any great means. Um, but and, I... And, li- Go ahead. And you said my poor kids jokingly, yeah. but by the time they were, I think like eight years old, they had been on over a hundred flights each. Mm. And so that's the beauty of, uh, of, of running all those cruises. I could accumulate points on the credit card, even though I paid it oh, off yeah. every single month and we'd always travel for free. So, um, you know, I think we went to Disneyland every year for, like at least six years straight and then threw in Disney world here and there and threw in Mexico and, and, and all that, you know, utilizing, uh, the point structure, like our, our government doesn't consider credit card points a tax benefit. So we yeah. don't have to pay tax on it. Yeah. I, I, I think I realized in our, when we talked last time, your kids were actually spoiled. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, we, we tell but, them that, but, um, I only went to Disney once. Yes, but I've been using miles. I've, I've, I've probably paid for one ticket, maybe two in the last 20 years because yeah. I use, because I use Alaska airline miles and I've been all over the world on the thing. Yeah. It's not as good as it used to be, but, but yeah, no. it, it is, it is an incredible yeah. benefit when you, so now I've switched, switched away from travel points to, uh, cash back Mm. um because you know my brother's an engineer so he'll always update me on the best best credit cards to get for the maximum amount of points and uh and then uh the one cash back card i have it's recurring payments and so with my other business i i spend a lot of recurring payments and so i get two percent cash back on that Mm. and so it's 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 nice so your brother's a hustler too huh (laughs) yeah Yeah. um so what does retirement look like for you um my personal philosophy on retirement is this may be counterintuitive uh i don't i don't believe in retirement i think we should all be always be busy all the time. So let's say you're retired, not just to lay around on the beach and not just play golf all day, but to always have a purpose in life, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's, it's sort of my, my worldview is, is I, I don't think retirement's right. Like we're, we're here to be a contributing member of society and, and playing golf all day and lying on a beach all day doesn't do it for me. So whether it be um, in terms of, can I be financially free? Um, I believe I've built up a really, really good base for that. Uh, You know, my wife and I are even not talking to financial advisors about uh, starting a foundation, you know, in order to, to 
build up funds in there to be able to help. Let's say if there's a, you know, a hurricane somewhere that we can, you know, have something in a foundation to help a cause or, or something mm-hmm. like that. And so, so I, I think your, your, your leading question was, is working in the trades viable for retirement? Yes, it is. Cause, cause, uh, I think I'm on a very good path to that. Like, you know, even, uh, losing hundreds of thousands of dollars early in my career due to, and, and that's happened, uh, poor, poor investment choices, builders going under, we've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. I've still been able to make it back up working in the, in the trades. Mm-hmm. Most of our financial losses has been due to, to markets and, and they were hard pills to swallow. And I'm so glad they happened in my twenties that I was yeah. able to, to build it back up. Cause at one point I was able to not work for 10 years with the, the amount of money I lost and uh, yeah. you know, but, but working in the trades and being disciplined and, and prudent, you know, help build that back up. Yeah, but I, I'll always be busy doing something. Yeah, your answer doesn't surprise me. And I used to think that I would retire and just kind of screw around, but I will never stop. Like I don't, I don't know if I'll ever even stop building houses because I enjoy it so much. Yeah. Um. So retiring. Yeah, like right before this podcast. Uh huh. Like literally ten minutes before I had to sign on, uh, my son he's like, "So, Dad, now that you're retired." are you going to do a lot of skateboarding this summer? And, uh, you know, he said it jokingly just cause he knew I like, this is my first, uh, winter I've taken off, off the job site. And yeah, I'm yeah. like, well, no, I miss it too much. I'm going to go back. And, and I'm like, besides then I'll, uh, I'll have nothing to post on Instagram cause I'm deciding guys. So if I'm not siding, how am I going to post content? And I, I just told him, I said, uh, skateboarding is probably a little too risky for me to do just cause I, if I twist my ankle, you know, that's, uh, that wouldn't allow me to, to side, yep. which, which I enjoy. Yeah. Risk management. That's key. Um, okay. So you've just given financial advice to at least 10 people who listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> there's how, are you, more than 10. Are you, there's are 11. You, okay. Are you comfortable? Are you comfortable with that? comfortable with giving financial advice uh-huh. um it's an interesting thing because a lot of personal people in my life do come to me with financial advice or asking for financial advice so it is something i think i'm naturally gifted at, at and have a lot of experience in losing large sums and earning large sums yeah and and not a lot of people have that in in their life, right? They're they're on a constant trajectory of just build slowly, check to check, or build, 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 or you know, um, you know, I have a friend that runs much larger companies than than I have, but he'll constantly ask about, hey, what do you think? Do you think this is here? Um, is is a good 
good purchase for my corp. And then I'll, I'll, I'm pretty decent at giving the black and white. Well, here are the pros and cons. Personally, I would not spend a hundred dollars to save or to just to be able to write it off. Right. Cause people, a lot of people think, Oh, it's a write off. I'm like, well, you just have to spend a hundred dollars, but you're still going to have to make that back even though you can write it off. Right. Right. The idea of starting a business is so that your business can profit, not stay at zero profit every year and pay yourselves what you need to do. Cause then you've just created a job for yourself without building up something else. Right. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And I've even helped, helped us. One of my friends start a pretty serious argument with him and his wife um, and financial matter. But he thanked me later, a few years later, he's like, I was ticked when, you know, like it was something simple. Like uh, I said to, to his wife, I was like, well, if I was him, I wouldn't have bought a case of tape measures. So it's like, it's just something really simple that sparked a conversation. But years later, he, he came back to me and thanked me and said, that was really, really good. Cause, cause a lot of people like spending corporate funds and not saving it. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Uh, what about, are, what about, you know, you're the siding guy. You're sharing all this knowledge. Do you ever get like that's uh, it, like imposter syndrome? Um, it's just me. I think I was the one that brought brought uh, that up to you. Is uh, the reality of it is I'm just a regular guy that chose to put myself out there. I get imposter syndrome every single time I start a house. Hmm. I show up to a house look at it, it's two stories, and think to myself, how am I going to do this by myself? This is too big of a project for me. How did I get myself into this? Mm. Right? And, and uh, you know, the Instagram thing, like I said, was just a thing that just happened to blow up. And all, now all of a sudden, me being a regular guy and put up there for everyone to 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 criticize or to be a role model, even though I don't want to be a role model, I'm just a regular guy doing my job. That's not necessarily great, but I know it's not crap. Mm -hmm. You know, I know I'm not the best out there. I've never said I am. I just share what I do. A lot of the things I learned on my own and it's worked for me and my clients are happy and I can sleep well at night knowing that I did my best to satisfy my client and putting out the best I can at that point in my career. Right? I'm super proud because like looking around right now, where I'm sitting, if I can look outside the walls, I can probably see 10 houses I've done 19 years ago. Mm, that's cool. Like eating supper every day. I remember, oh, that was one of the first houses on that street. I remember that guy I partnered with at first who um, who was learning as well. He fell off a ladder off that roof. I, I, I remember it. And, and uh, But I am proud in the fact that all this siding is still up. It still looks straight. And my work has only gotten better 
from 19 years ago or 18 years ago. That is awesome. No hanging soffits, no like, no, no. no nothing, huh? Cool. Yeah. Well, and, and it's cool because you go into my area, every house that has a 45 in the soffit, uh-huh. it's, it's uh, my company. All the other ones are straight across. Yeah, of course. With, That's awesome. I love yeah. it. Yeah, but but now I'm forced to go straight across because uh, fire codes have changed between vented non vented. So so then uh, you you can't really do a miter and, and split the vented non vented soffit for for fire code. It looks silly, so you have oh, to go straight across. Now. That's too bad because that 45 is sexy. That miter and and uh, I told you that I my my siding guys that I kind or that I kind of help bring up when they started that I can't afford anymore. That was there. That was one of their touches as well. Um, so you told me you have a steel trap for a memory. You've never had a notebook and, and this is a gift obviously. Um, but you said still your wife of 23 years remind you of your upcoming vacations. Why? <laughs> uh, well, she just makes me put it in the calendar. <laughs> So I'll, I'll remember when we're going on vacation, but uh, I, I think what sparked this question was when I told you my calendar is always empty. There is there is nothing on my calendar, and I just tend to remember everything in my head. That is, and, that is a gift. And even, even when I was running crews, uh, I wouldn't put anything on my calendar. I would just remember the house address and just search it on my email. You may think I'm an organized guy, but... I have zero folders in my email. I, I search everything. Hmm. So coming on to podcast, I just, you know, searched you. They're like, oh, there's a link to join on. So um, she's also, your wife has also been your co-conspirator and co-planner in crossing the financial finish line. Um, could you have done it without her? No. Um, she's 50-50 in in our company and even this last few months of taking time off she's pushed me beyond my comfort zone to do things i wouldn't have to further other parts of of business not necessarily signing but uh you know part of what you'd call retirement is trying to trying to expand your your income sources, right? So mm-hmm. she's really pushed me in that area. And also, you know, when I sometimes don't feel like working, she's like, Des, you know, you can get POs whenever you want. So why not crush it out now? Um, while you can, you know, even this house I'm sitting in, both uh, my wife and I were actually sitting in tears. Because we're like, why did we buy this house? We didn't need this house, we could have raised our family in our, our townhouse. And in, instead, we increased our mortgage by three times mm. the amount. And and we didn't even know if we could sell our townhouse to make the down payment on this one. But she's like, there's work out there. So I managed to, like, you know, maybe how long? In less than six months, scrape up uh, a 33% down payment on this house just because that was the rules for being self-employed to get a mortgage because i was only self-employed for 
I think less than three or five years. So, so oh, takes okay. required 30, 33% down. And so that was a, you know, huge step. And, and of course my wife encouraging me saying, don't worry, I got the kids at home. They just lay around anyway. They're not crawling. So go work, you know, like, uh, I think less than a week after my daughter was born, she's like, Dad, go back to work. You know, you don't need to be here. Probably should have had her on too. What's her name? Yeah. Her name's Kaylee. Kaylee. Yeah. And and she's always very accommodating because I'll, we'll look at the forecast saying, oh, it's going to snow, you know, four inches overnight or three inches overnight. And then she's like, Dad, if you need to go move your poles, uh, we can have supper waiting for you when you get back. You know, because she knows that's more efficient for me than to try to brush no op or to put up scaffolds with a ladder is just mm. to have a dry roof to to walk on. And that's so awesome. I've done that many times where it's like Sunday evening. She's like, Des, go. You'll have a better day at work tomorrow, right? Yeah, cool. Yeah. Awesome. So you're going to you're about to be an empty nester. Any any thoughts on that? Ah, uh, I think at least my son will stay around for a while. They, they, they don't want to necessarily move out because they know the expenses, even though they know they've had, they have an education fund set aside. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got, we are blessed with really, really good kids. When, when I went to Vegas to IBS with my wife, we left them home alone. And before we left, we're like, uh, if you have a party, make sure it's a really good one. Make sure you have, you know, all the marijuana and, you know, like we, we can joke with them like that, knowing that they're making smart decisions Awesome. in life. So, so yeah. So I, I don't think empty nesting is too soon. Hmm. Um, and we'd be glad to have them, you know, here for a few more years. But, uh, awesome. you know, our job as parents is to try to train them into adulthood right and yeah so we'll see what's your greatest accomplishment huh i don't know i i see everything in my life as not done by me like like it was an accident I don't know if you ever feel that way. It's like, you know, I didn't really do it. Um, I didn't really accomplish it. It just things fell into place that I utilized. I, I tried to use wisdom to utilize every opportunity. It's interesting. I feel like when I let go and started more going with the flow instead of fighting things, but also being very intentional with what I'm doing. Like you're saying, things just fall into place. Yeah. And like even just talking about my kids pound through them. Yeah. Yeah. Like just talking about my kids, they are, you know, the two best teenagers that I could ever dream of having. And yet I think, was I really a good dad? Like, you know, like I worked lots you know, I, I did hang out with them lots, but in their teenage years, I try to give them their space and only really get in their space if they want me in their, you know, like try to give them their freedom. And it's like, okay, I, I think I was just kind of a, 
a normal dad. I don't think I was good, but I don't think I was terrible. I have regrets, yet I have joys mm-hmm. and proud moments. But, you know, I'm just happy looking at at the product of, of whatever that was. Mm-hmm. Good but for it you, wasn't man. necessarily me. Right. What was, now we're going to kind of get into the ending questions here. What was the weirdest expectation you were given as a child? Weirdest expectation I was given as a child. That is a really strange question. Um, I never really expected much as a weirdest expectation. I don't know if I can answer that question, to be honest. That, that's all right. You know, I, I just think that when we're kids, we think that adulthood is going to be very different than it is. I still feel like a kid. Maybe that's right. why I can't answer that question, because I seriously do feel like a kid every single day. Like, because life is fun. It is. <laughs> it is. And the less complicated and more fun you make it, it just it just gets better. It just gets better. There's some stressful years in there. But once you learn to put that stuff behind you, it's pretty incredible. Um, okay, what was your favorite childhood toy? Oh. I was always a tinkerer. So childhood, I would like, I'll go back to junior high days was uh, my brother and I got into RC car racing. Mm. And so my parents disciplined enough us enough that whatever hobbies we wanted, we worked for it. So my brother and I shoveled snow, mowed lawns, did everything. And we, we raced RC cars and we were the, two only kids and another kid and the rest were adults. Uh-huh. And so we, uh, we raced RC cars. And so that was, that was really enjoyable. And I had the chance to do it as an adult as well with my son in, in the recent years. Awesome. Did you dominate when you guys were teenagers? No, cause we couldn't afford the, oh, the, the good, good stuff. Yeah. RC cars, <laughs> but uh, that's where I learned how to solder. I learned circuits. Yeah. I have adult friends. I even, uh, oh, this is cool. I had a, a tip published in RC Car Magazine. Nice. And so even at a young young age, I was giving out tips of modifying things to make it work better. Because you're a hustler. Because you're a hustler, got, man. <laughs> Your wife and that right. got published. That's yeah. cool. Uh, what is the best nickname for a tool? Or good nickname for a tool you got? Good nickname for a tool. I don't name my tools. No, you don't have any nicknames for a tool. No, no, no nicknames. I don't name my cars. I don't. I know guys name their vehicles, but uh, I, I've never named a vehicle. I, don't, I just thought that was yeah. I I don't think I've ever. The the only thing I can think of is the siding removal tool. Everyone calls it a zip tool or they, they've got all sorts of, all sorts of name for it. The unzipper, um, 
but yeah, that's, that's the only tool I can. That's the kind of thing I'm thinking about. And everybody, like yeah. I, I can't always recall one, but when I had a crew, there was, I wouldn't even know what they were talking about sometimes because every year was different names for everything. Yeah. Um, why do skill trades matter? Because I don't think it could ever be replaced by robots completely. So every, like just looking around every room, machines can't do it all. So, so if people want to live the way they're living, not even in luxury, it matters to, to keep the training going. Yeah. And, and people interested in doing it and, um, and it not being an embarrassing thing to tell people that you're in construction. Cause that was one thing I was embarrassed about for probably my first mm. five years in construction was, uh, what do you do for your living? And then you sheepishly say, uh, I put siding on houses. I'm a siding installer, kind of shameful mm. knowing, you know, cause, cause a lot of people know that I do have a, a degree and, you know, and it's, it's, you know, but it's, it's not shameful. And so now almost 20 years later, what do you do for a living? I put siding on houses. You know, I can say that and be proud of it. Yeah. As it should be. What was your degree? Yeah, and, and then even when I was running the cruise, instead of saying I installed siding, I wanted to make it look better. Like I'm a business owner, you know, instead of like construction, right? Like, and, and, but now that I've gained more wisdom, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Who cares what people think? Yeah. You know, just, just uh, enjoy what you do and be proud of it. Yeah. Yeah, when you're when you're younger too, there's the ego gets in the way with how you're perceived publicly. Yeah. Um, what do you value most? What do I value most? I value living up to what I'm on this earth to do I, I i value like like that comes down to the retirement question too is 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 ba basically being the best i can be and at the end of life trying to have as little regrets as possible because mm -hmm. you know there's some things i can't change in my life and those are regrets but to to live my life with purpose I like it. Who's your mentor? And hopefully that Sorry. legacy carries on with what other people see of me too. Not right. Yeah. Yeah. Who's your mentor or do you have a mentor? I've got, yeah, I've got a uh, one main one. Um, he is a high profile doctor here in the city. And uh, I sort of, knew him knew of him and my wife sort of knew his wife and so i looked at him and said i want to grow up to be like you one day in my mind and so i got up the courage to ask him one day 
saying, Hey, would you consider mentoring me? I don't know if you mentor people. And he's like, uh, I do that at the hospital and that at his work, but, uh, he was open to it. And so we've sort of had a standing date for the last three, four years. So he's the, yeah, he's one of the, the main ones. Okay, it's, and not in construction at all, right? Just just life. Well, they don't. Yeah, they don't have to be, right? I mean, you, yeah. our 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 mentors come in the in all forms. Yeah, and and I like to to listen to a lot, like listen to a lot of books that are more geared toward leadership. Mm. You know, and and my mentor recommends books here and there, and I'll I'll sign them out from the library and and be mentored through other people I have no personal access to. Give us a, give us a book recommendation. Uh, I'm trying to think of it. There's one on habits. I listened to that one twice. I I'd have to look through my phone to see my, my purchase history from the library. Uh, Simon Sinek. Simon Sinek. Simon start. That's awesome. He was just mentioned. Yeah, in my start. Start with why. That's a good one. Um, that's I. I've been more into podcasts lately, and and since I've taken time off works, so I'm not too fresh on the the books because at at work I like to listen to books. Yep. I struggle to listen to books. I've tried, and I I. I, I I like taking notes and highlighting and scribbling notes in the margins. So, and then if I feel like I'm, if I'm really in the zone working, I don't, I stop listening. So I'll uh, often take notes on my siding boxes as I'm listening. And then I'll take a picture of it at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I kind of translate the audio to, uh, you know, to something tangible. Yeah. That's cool. I I love it. So you're like, you got a big piece of cardboard. Sometimes you're going home. Well, the siding box is 12 feet long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Um, Okay. We're down to the tools. What's your favorite tool? I would have to say these last two years, my cordless roofing nailer with the vinyl siding adapter. Hmm. Because uh, it, it was my dream for years and years and years to go cordless completely. Mm-hmm. And that was the last piece. Excellent. What's the most useful tool? The most useful? It's probably your mind. What, where, what is the where have you been all my life tool? Where have you been all my life? Probably the same, the roofing nailer with the adapter. Fair, fair enough. Because uh, I, I was, I literally Googled cordless siding nailer every two months for years until I finally just decided to do it myself. Nice. So. You made your own Where Have You Been All My Life tool. I like it. Uh, best job site snacks. 
water. Boring. I'm kidding. I know you you told me you gave up pop in the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, um, I I don't snack at work, so that's why I I always have water at work. And and especially this past year, I was only working till lunch, so I didn't even have to pack food. Nice. And maybe I'd just bring an apple just in case. So I guess apple could be one of them. But uh, I tend to, if I'm working, I tend to work through lunch or take really short lunch breaks because I don't have to sit for an hour to wait for someone's one hour lunch break. Yeah. I, yeah. One hour lunch break is way too much. It's too much, too much time down. It's so hard to, it's like you have to recover. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you lose your zone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I've, they've always been like, Oh, you need to take a proper lunch break, eat your food and blah, blah, blah. And I, I like to take a break. That's about as long as it takes me to eat my food. But any longer than that, and I'm, I, just, I just lose momentum. And yeah, yeah. Or oftentimes, I'll lose my zone. Like I'll finish a wall and have to move equipment or get set up. That's when I'll go eat my mm. sandwich or apple, mm. and then regroup. And then it may be ten thirty or eleven in the morning, not even close to lunchtime. But then I'll, you know, then then move on to the next. Task. That's one of the beauties of working alone is that you you can. You get done with one thing, you can choose how to make that transition. And if it's incorporating lunch into that, because it makes the most sense, you get to do it. I love it. There have been times, many times, where I'll show up at work, 6.30 in the morning, and then at 7.15, I'll drive off, just saying, today's not a day I'm going to be effective. Mm. And so there's advantages to that. And I'll be thinking to myself, if I get a good start tomorrow, I'll have a way better day than, mm. than to stay around here because of the, the bit of wind or, or snow or just not feeling it. Mm. That's awesome. Self-observation. That's important. Yeah. And, and that's training your, you know, that can only be, d- be done if you train your clients well. Mm. You know, my, my builders all knew that if they didn't see me on a site for a week, I probably found a cheap flight somewhere and they would have no problem with it because that one client in 17 years, I had never missed a deadline or caused them to go out of schedule once. What are the best job site jams? Audiobooks. I don't mm. do music. Mm. Um, okay. My, I always have the previous guest ask a question and then I'm gonna ask you to ask one. Uh, Allison, I and Tosca ask what kept you going? What was, what kept you focused? There's all these up other opportunities in life, other avenues you could have taken. What gave you the grit to push on? Cause if I didn't keep pushing on, it would have been a lot harder to start something else to get to the point of where I was. So even if I'm not feeling it, I know I can't quit because I can't find anything else to replace it unless I go back to a, a restart mode, right? Mm-hmm. What would you ask someone who came on 
tradesperson or a, or a, a contractor. What is one piece of advice that has stuck with you the most, whether from childhood or recently? It's a good question because the things that stick with us are amazing and the things that we let go. But that piece of advice you got from a friend that it has nothing to do with construction or business or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is there anyone you want to give a shout out to today? I will give a shout out with to my family, even though they might not listen to this. Um, They'll be bored yeah. to death. They'd be bored to death. <laughs> yeah, probably because they've heard all the stories. Right. They know my life, so why would they? Why would they listen? But uh, you know, they they give me a purpose. Mm you know, an immediate purpose to live for. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, do you think all your friends that are listening to this podcast should leave us a five-star review? They should. And maybe I should too. I, I don't subscribe to any podcast. I just sort of search it up every time and look at it. And, and so maybe I should be the first. Because <laughs> I've listened to it. Because I've listened to a few of your episodes, quite a few, probably five eighths or five three eighths, quarters. Yeah. <laughs> five eighths to three quarters. Yeah, I love it. Of, of all of your episodes. Um, hey, do you have any? Do you have any final words of wisdom for anyone out there? treat everyone with respect it's it's i think that's a lost art especially um probably most of your listeners are on social media there's always a a human being behind words that you see on there absolutely des thank you so much for joining me today it's been awesome you're welcome thank you for for uh, pushing me out of my comfort zone. Hey, if you enjoyed this podcast today, picked up a nugget of information, anything, please share it on social media or text the podcast to a friend. And if you feel like supporting the podcast financially, go to www.thecontractinghandbook.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. That's all I got. Later.